0: Welcome uh, to Summer Inn number one. Uh, thanks for coming out. For those of you that don't know uh, me, my name is Mike McAvoy. People call me Voy. In fact, if you see me on the streets, I probably won't respond to Mike, so don't even think about using it. Uh, Voy will work just great. Um, and, uh, and I get a chance to work here uh, with the Inn, with University Ministries. And actually, it's a pretty interesting summer so far here because uh, we only have four people on staff right now after Emily Vansel's wedding uh, this last weekend. So kind of a, a little bit of a smaller staff around here. So it's just myself, uh, Janie Stewart, who you heard about earlier. She's sitting down here. Uh, I get to know her. And, and uh, Becky Riggers in the back. And then Ryan Church as well, wherever he is. Also visiting from the Inn at Pullman. Bill Strunk in the back there. So... Um, Know that the in-staff would love to get to know you more. Sometimes during the summer it gets a little bit uh, lonely, so feel free to stop by uh, our office, which is the trailer up at 4719 16th, just a couple uh, houses up. Um, But for me, I figured I'd give you a little bit of a chance to get to know me better uh, right now, so I'd open with a few of the things that I love. Uh, I'm a a man of of passion. I easily uh, find things that I love in life. Um, And the first one, I think, is that I love food. Um, I really do. I love food. There have been twice in my life where I've thought, like, maybe I should, like, try to, like, get in better shape and lose weight. And I try for, like, one day. And then I'm like, nope, I love eating. Too much. I love it. I love eating. Um, and that's why. Also, I ate at all 77 Ave restaurants last year. It's my biggest claim to fame in the world. If you've ever met me before, you already know that. Uh, but uh, I do. I love new things and I love eating, which kind of go... Together with eating at all those restaurants. Um, What else? I love my job. I do. I love getting a chance to work in college ministry, Uh, work with college students. Uh, I get a chance to run our student leadership program here. Love working with students that just have a desire to put their faith uh, into action in some way. And work with a great team here. Um, I really do love my job. Uh, The third thing I love, I love people that are excited about anything. Honestly, you come to me excited about anything, you're like, I'm starting this knitting club, and I'm super pumped about it. I really want you to help out. I'd be like, okay, I don't know much about that, but I would love to because you're excited about it. Um, honestly, with all the World Cup stuff going on, I'm not a soccer fan, whatever, at all. I've never played soccer in my entire life except for in third world countries on mission trips. That's it. And I don't know a thing about soccer, but I really love the World Cup because people are always like, oh, my gosh, they get so excited about it. For some reason, I don't know exactly. (laughs) I mean, get up at 5 in the morning to watch a stinking match. But I actually really enjoy it because other people are so excited about it. Um, And the fourth thing is I really love to laugh. I love to have a good time. Uh, I think that sometimes uh, in this relationship with Jesus, we make it a little too stiff. I think there are times for it to be serious, but I think also it's an adventure. Uh, and, and it's a lot of fun in there. And I love to have a good time. Uh, in fact, one of the things that has made me laugh more than anything lately. Okay, so some people showed me this website a little while ago. And everyone kind of has their favorite website. But uh, most of you guys might know this. The website stumble StumbleUpon. Okay? Uh, someone showed it to me, and now every time I'm feeling a little down. It's where I go to laugh a lot by myself. I've never laughed as much by myself. Um, but I found this... Oh, that's all right. Should I stop? Okay. Um, uh, anyway, sorry about that. That was really rude. Uh, I, please come back. Um, <laughs> anyway, continuing on... Uh, They'll call back. Uh, I found this one place that, you know, you just click stumble on this website, and it takes you to some really hilarious website as long as you check the humor box. Although I don't like telling people that I was stumbling on the Internet the other night. I love the, the website itself. Uh, thank you. It's a little slow over in this corner. Anyways... I found this website the other week that um, is actually a government website. Some of you may have seen this on there. Um, That's from the Department of Homeland Security. And it's all these different little terrorist uh, codes, these little things, uh, these warning signs of what you're supposed to do if terrorism or terrorists attack. Uh, But the problem is the signs that are on the US government website are so ambiguous that nobody would have any clue what they actually mean. And so one of the Stumble Upon websites made their own uh, definitions of what these signs probably mean. So what we're actually going to do is show them up here and then I'm going to take uh, guesses from the audience on what you think this really is. So feel free to raise your hand. Let's go ahead and throw that first one up there. Okay, if you've got a guess at what this is, don't be bashful. Raise your hand. There are no wrong answers here. Uh, yes? If you are on fire, don't run out of the room without a face. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly correct. Uh, see, no wrong answers. Number one. Okay, what's our next one? These are all of terrorist attack. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, go ahead. If you're shorter than the, uh, the, uh, the cabinets, you can stare at them. But realize you're short. Well, that's close. That's real close. It's actually in the middle of a terrorist attack, it is not an appropriate time to catch up on your reading. <laughs> so, okay, well, uh, next one. All right, who knows what this means? If you saw this sign in a building, terrorist attacks, what do you do? Hide under a rock with a flashlight. Actually, the correct answer is use your flashlight to lift the walls right off of you. (laughs) That's the right answer. Um, Next one. Any guesses? Don't stand next to loud boxes. Uh, (laughs) Close. This one's actually... Uh, Slightly inappropriate. Um, Hope I have a job tomorrow. Okay, so try to absorb as much of the radiation as possible with your growing region. The current world record is five minutes and 12 seconds. (laughs) All right, next. There are a couple more. I know you guys are catching on by now. You know what to do if a terrorist attacks. Uh, The correct answer is if you are sprayed with an unknown substance, stand and think about it instead of seeing a doctor. All right, next up. I'm sure somebody's seen this before. Uh, close. It's actually, if you're trapped under falling debris, conserve oxygen by not farting. So, which is actually true. You're supposed to do that. Um, oh, this is an easy one. Everybody knows this. Guesses? I think you could have got this one. It is, if you are trapped with no hope of being found, amuse yourself in your final moments with shadow puppets. (laughs) (laughs) All right, last one. This one's really, this one's pretty simple. It's a bird of some sort. No guesses. Yeah, go ahead. That's a good point. Uh, that is true. However, this one, technically, uh, is, uh, in times of terrorist attacks, real Americans eat red meat only. No wimpy fish or poultry allowed. <laughs> so, just, uh, just trying to clear those up. Anyways, that's a real, uh, those are really from the government website. Feel free to go to the Homeland Security, uh, and check it out anytime. Um, alright, that's probably good. Um, okay, so when you hear those, Answers, though, there's probably something in you that says that's not what that really means. Uh, there's some sort of truth that we're not getting uh, there. And instantly when you hear that, you probably go, I, I know that to not be true. In the same way, uh, oftentimes in life, we hear things and, and immediately when we hear it, we go, that is true. I know that's true. And sometimes when we're presented with certain truths in our life, we, we know it so much we go, This is going to change the way I think. This is going to change the way I live life. This is going to change the way I view things in my life. Um, four years ago, I was still in school here at the U, and I actually lived in the human guy's house, uh, just a couple of houses up the way. And I had a roommate. And about halfway through our senior year, his mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it was actually a really tough situation for him and the family. Uh, Great family. And they said she had about six months to live. And so he actually uh, dropped out of his spring classes. He ended up having to um, retake them at a different time and go home to be with his family. And then she ended up living about another uh, year uh, total. And so in the spring, he was planning on going to grad school, but ended up uh, not going to grad school in the spring, putting off another year, or in the fall, sorry, uh, so that he could go home and be with his family. And their whole family kind of rallied around his mom. And, and what happened was there was a truth that was presented to him and their family that his, his mom didn't have much time, that life was fragile. And so front and center became the truth of their family, which is family is important, and it changed the way that he viewed things. Changed the way he viewed school, changed the way he viewed relationships, knowing that. And in the same way, sometimes in our life we're presented with the truth and and we don't, uh, we don't want to know that truth. And we choose to ignore it because we know that's going to change the way that we live and we don't necessarily want to change because we're kind of comfortable in how we are. Uh, my sister is two years younger than me. She's 25 and she's been dating the same guy for 10 years. And a month ago, Uh, my sister broke up with the guy that she had dated for 10 years. Since she was 15, like a freshman in college, or a freshman in high school, she'd been dating the same guy. And the whole time that she had been dating him, people had been saying, don't date him, this is not the right guy for you, it's not going to probably work out, I don't think you should be with him, you should be with someone different or better or whatever. But uh, like a lot of us do in a relationship, sometimes it feels better to be in that relationship than to not be in a relationship at all. And, And so she, even though she knew those things and she knew that to be true, she stayed with him that whole time until about a month ago when he was going to propose to her on her birthday, and she ended up breaking up with him because she knew the truth at that point, which was, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with this guy. And I don't mean to throw my sister under the bus at all here. I love her, and I actually have a lot of respect for her that at this point, even after 10 years, she could still go and have the courage to do that. Um, But this was a truth that she chose to ignore for so long because it meant a dramatic change to the way that she viewed her life. And I think it's true that sometimes we choose to ignore uh, the reality because we've kind of made our own reality and we really, really want that to be uh, the truth. So we choose to ignore certain truths, um, thinking that if we ignore them long enough, then maybe that won't be real truth in our life, which is never, ever a good way to live life. In fact, I'll tell you, one of the hardest things for me about being a, a college pastor is that sometimes in studying this book and studying the Bible, uh, is that i come across things that i don't always uh, i'm not always in love with i don't always go oh man that i don't really i don't really want to believe everything i actually have a hard time sometimes when i come across something that's going to change the way that i thought about something because i got pretty comfortable in the way that i live life cuz probably a lot like you i have a certain uh, a certain view of god that i hope is is the way that god is or that i who i want god to be Um, Some things I don't want God to be, and some things I do want God to be, whether they're true or not. In fact, I've made a little list uh, of God according to Mike, um, of who, if I had my ideal God, this is what he might look like. Okay, so here are a few things. Um, Number one is that I want, Mike's God, um, heals all illnesses, number one. And if he can't get them all, hey, at least the people I know and the people that they know... Uh, because I would want a God that, that wouldn't let anybody that I cared about die. Number two, uh, I don't want God to allow all the hurting, poverty, uh, hunger, suffering that's going on around the world. Much like a lot of, of you guys have spent a fair amount of time traveling the world, and, and, and there's just so much uh, hurt, and, and people dying at young ages, and hunger all over. And, and we see that in our own community too, but especially in some of these cultures you go to, and it seems like there's not much of a, of a chance for a change. Um, and I go, man, that's tough. How could, how could God let some of these things happen? I don't really know. Um, number three, uh, my God doesn't allow difficult things to happen to people that are doing his work, especially me. Uh, this is kind of the selfish uh, thing that happens to me sometimes. Is If something bad will happen or I'll get in a tough situation, I'll be like, come on, God, what's going on? Like I'm, I'm trying to... Work with you here. We're a team. How could you let bad things happen to me? Uh, when the truth is, you know, God says, "Hey, if you're going to come follow me, it's it's never going to be an easy journey. Uh, tough times are going to happen." Um, number four, I want God to care as much, if not more, about Husky football than I do. <laughs> In fact, I want to believe that He secretly wants the Huskies to win every game. He ignores prayers from all other teams, all other fans around the entire world, and even when other people are praying on Saturdays at 12:30, He says, "Okay." I'll answer that later. I'm watching the dogs right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's my God. Okay. And, uh, and, and last year against Arizona, I thought this was happening. Um, <laughs> but I want to believe the gods that God's up there going, I'm going to help the Huskies return to dominance. Here we go. Okay. Number five. Um, I want to believe that, that um, God doesn't care that much about my sins. That my sins are just little, they're really not that big a deal. Other people's are really big, there are people out there doing way worse things than me. So when he comes across my sins, he goes, Hey, you know what, not that big a deal, you're pretty good, we'll take it. You believe the same thing, don't you? Uh, Number six, and this is the final one, is that I want to believe that nobody really goes to hell. That In the end, there's some sort of a loophole, and, and basically everybody gets in. Except for like five or six choice people uh, who I personally think deserve to burn in a lake of fire. And God and I have a very similar list about who those people are. And so when we get up there, we compare lists and go, yep, we're on the same page. Um, but those are things that, that, that I want to believe, that sometimes I want God to be. But the truth is, is that none of these are, are actually characteristics of God. And every time we refuse to face the truth about God, we pay some sort of penalty for it. If you believe that God heals all illnesses, you're going to walk through this life pretty disappointed. If you think that bad things won't happen to you if you just have faith, if you just give money or live a good life, you're going to continue living in disappointment. And if you think that you can somehow get to heaven by your own actions, your own work, you may not be disappointed in this lifetime, but you definitely will in the next one. And if you think that you're too bad to be forgiven or you've done something that is just unforgivable by God, you're going to live with a burden that you no longer need to be carrying. And you'll live with a deep-seated guilt and never really know freedom and never really know peace. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at conversations that people have with Jesus and truth that he presents to them. And some people that choose to embrace those truths and let their lives be transformed by them. And some people that can't handle it and choose to walk away. So before we get into that first uh, truth we're going to take a look at tonight, let me pray for us. Wow. God, I just pray that you you use these words, God, you use your own words um, that you've written here in this book for us, God, just to speak to our hearts uh, here tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Alright, so the first piece of scripture we're going to look at tonight is from John chapter 8. And uh, in my opinion, this is one of the most used and sometimes most misquoted scriptures out there. Uh, in fact, I, a couple weeks ago I heard someone, I think, use this scripture and didn't even know it was from the Bible. Just kind of used it, you know, as a, as a term. Um, but I also think it's a very powerful piece of scripture. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. And it's, a, it's from John chapter 8, um, verses 31 and 32. And he starts off here and says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now this word hold can also be translated abide or to remain in something, essentially, Jesus here is saying, if you if you remain in my teachings, if you stay here, even when it's hard, even when it goes against what you may already believe, even when these teachings may not line up with what your parents taught you or what you learned, uh in in history class or what your uh, philosophy professor taught you, you know, or going along with the lifestyle that you live. But but if you remain, if you stay, if you abide in these teachings, then you are my disciple. Uh, Another way of phrasing this, Jesus oftentimes uses analogies uh, of things that we understand. Uh, And he talks about light and darkness quite often in Scripture. And and one of the ways uh, that this is presented is it's as if uh, you're in a very, very dark room. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're in college. You sleep till like 1130. uh, And you're in this dark room. It's all boarded off. It's the middle of the day, but yet you're still sleeping. You got your own man cave or woman cave. I don't know if they have those. Probably. (laughs) Same thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's midday. You go out. It's super bright outside. Not like Seattle, but maybe somewhere that is really bright. And you open the door, and boom, the light just hits you. And, and the first thing you want to do because it's uncomfortable out there is step back into the darkness and shut that door and go, Whoo. Oh, my gosh, I can still see in the dark because my eyes have adjusted. My eyes hadn't adjusted to that light, and it became a little bit uncomfortable. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you stand out there and you're presented with this truth, my teachings, it's going to be a little uncomfortable at first. But if you stay there, if you don't run back inside, but you remain out there and you let your eyes adjust to this light, you let them adjust to to my teachings, you will be transformed in the process. And this is the promise that he gives. He gives continues on, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Here's what he says, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Free from your misconceptions about God. Free from your guilt. Free from your fears. Free from the ways that you had viewed certain situations in life. As we walk through this series, we're calling it the point of no return. And is phrased the way it is because uh, as we walk out this door into the light, it's not like one of those uh, turnstiles, like to get on the subway or uh, to walk into a different country or somewhere. you walk through and then all of a sudden you're trapped and you can't get back in, and, and it really has hit that point of no return. But as we walk into that light, uh, we don't have to stay there. We have the option to return to the way we used to live. But my hope is that that for the next four weeks as we step into some of these truths that we stay out there and even when they're a little uncomfortable that we actually hit that point of no return and we choose to stay in that light and let these truths transform us. That's my hope. Um, And the first truth that we're going to look at comes from John chapter 3. We're going to skip back uh, a couple of chapters. And and John chapter 3 is a story about a guy named Nicodemus. Now, you may have heard this story before. You may have heard it uh, quite a few times. You may know Nicodemus. He shows up uh, a few more times in the New Testament. Uh, To be honest, I I didn't think of Nicodemus too much. He hadn't really made a giant impact on my life until a couple years ago. I was living down uh, in Alabama, and there was a restaurant about 20 minutes outside of the city I lived in, the city of Tuscaloosa. And there was this little dive restaurant out there, and it was called Nick's and the Sticks. Appropriately named, because it was definitely out in the sticks. And this was about as country in Alabama as you could get. There were many more American flags hanging inside, uh, including the Alabama flag, which looks a lot like the Confederate flag for some reason. Really weird. Um, anyways, Nick's and the Sticks is one of the greatest little steakhouse places that you will never know. Uh, and you get out there, and there's always a line outside. It's packed, but it's tiny. And the funny thing about Knicks and the Sticks is they're famous for this drink they make. And it's an alcoholic drink. I never actually had one myself, uh, but it's called a Nicodemus. You can see down here, the famous Nicodemus um, was the drink they served. And I don't think it was really that complicated. I think it was like really potent alcohol mixed with Kool-Aid or something. Um, And I think someone else could have replicated it, but for some reason they were famous for it. And people would come out there, and then they would order them to-go, which was the strangest thing to me. Is then they'd get their to-go cups, which were just... You know, the plastic keg cups. And they get in their car with them and then drive off. And I'd always think, is that legal? I mean, (laughs) we're definitely not in Washington anymore. Um, The the, the, the thing is, now, every time I hear the word Nicodemus, all I can think about is a big country guy getting into his giant Chevy truck and driving off with a keg cup sitting in his hand uh, out the road. So, anyways, back to the Bible. Okay. Um, Here, we'll just roughly transition back. Uh, Anyways. Uh, Nicodemus. So starting, uh, John chapter three, verse one, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing. If God were not with him. Now, Nicodemus uh is, is a Pharisee, he's a man of the Jewish ruling council, which means he was pretty high up, a pretty powerful man, pretty well known, probably pretty intelligent guy. It says here that Nicodemus came at night to see Jesus. And some of the things I've read about this say that he came at night, possibly because he didn't want other members of the Jewish council to know that he was going. Uh some say because he just wanted like uh some one-on-one individual bro time with Jesus. Um, I don't know myself. I don't really have a strong opinion. I just think that maybe he had to work during the day or something. So he decided, Hey, I'm free now. I'll come at night. Uh, not the most important thing uh, for me, but what I do notice here is the word rabbi he uses, uh, when he talks to Jesus, the sign of respect, this word meaning teacher. I mean, he addresses him saying, you must be from God, a very strong sign of respect from a guy who's pretty powerful. And now when Nicodemus came, he wasn't just looking to give his respect to Jesus, uh, and he probably wasn't looking to have a transformed heart either. My guess is that he was coming to get some answers. He had probably heard of the miracles that Jesus was doing, uh, turning water into wine, uh, even when he was uh, turning... Oh, I was going to turn the tables in the temple myself. Um, turning the tables in the temple, kind of causing commotion, but also doing some miracles and causing a little bit of commotion. And he probably wanted some answers himself. And in being a Jew, like most of the Jews uh, at the time, he probably believed that salvation came through his lineage. That being a Jew, being uh, related to Abraham, being an Israelite, is is what was going to get him into heaven. Uh, Being part of the chosen people uh, was going to lead to salvation. And he probably comes with these questions about salvation um, and about the kingdom of God. And as he approaches Jesus, he, he doesn't even have time to, to ask those questions. And Jesus sees his heart. And, and as we go on in this uh, section, Jesus um, declares it said. He kind of he butts in before Nicodemus can even ask anything. And, and he says in verse 3 here, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom unless he is born again. And my guess is at this point, Nicodemus is just kind of, you know, knocked back a little bit. He's kind of caught off guard. Whoa! How did how did he know that was a big thing for me? And what on earth does it mean to be born again? And Nick, uh, being a smart man as he is, my guess is understands there's some sort of sim, some sort of symbolism going on here, because he says, "How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born, can he?" You know, my guess is he's a little confused. I I think I know what you mean here, but I'm not 100% sure. But what I like here is this really kind of confuses Nicodemus. But he doesn't retreat. He doesn't leave. He doesn't step back into the darkness, but stays out there in this new truth, stays out there in this light. And he starts to let his eyes adjust as Jesus and him continue this conversation. And I hope there were people that do the same thing that we're not afraid to doubt at times, that we're not afraid to question Jesus, but that in that, that we don't step out of that, but that we stay there and continue to question and continue to learn while being in the midst of these teachings from Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying here is that there's a whole new system in place. And it doesn't matter who you're related to. And it doesn't matter how many good acts you've done. And it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is to be born again. And he explains this a little more, so we're going to move ahead in John 3 to verse 14. And and he continues on, Jesus does, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What he's saying here is back when Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, they go out into the desert and they're out there kind of wandering around and all these people start to get sick, all these people start dying. And God tells Moses, you put a snake up on a pole. I found a picture out of it, Uh, someone was taking pictures back then. Um, But he says, you put that snake up on a pole and everyone who comes and everyone who looks at that snake will be healed. They're going to get better and they're not going to die. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the same thing here. What's going to happen from, from now on is that, is that I'm going to absorb the pain. I'm going to absorb the sin of the world. And all who come and put their faith in me, who trust in me, who look at me, are going to have salvation. That's a new way of thinking. And then it goes on. And this next verse is a pretty famous one. You've probably heard it before. We continue into verse 16. And Jesus says, for God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That men do not get into heaven, or women do not get into heaven, uh, by the good works that they do, but by the good work, the good gift of one man. We don't earn salvation. And for some of us, this can be a tough truth sometimes. I've had quite a few conversations with people, actually, who uh, have had a loved one pass away and not knowing exactly... Uh, where their belief stood, said, well, I'm sure he's in heaven. He's, I mean, he's one of the best people I know. And, and the truth is that, uh, that there are a lot of people uh, like that, and, and I certainly hope that um, the people I care about and the people that you care about end up in heaven, and, and nobody really knows the depth of a relationship uh, like the people in it. But we are presented with the truth here from Jesus. Right here he opens a door into the light and we hit this point of no return when we choose to accept this truth. That good people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people go to heaven. That whoever should believe in him, should have faith in him, should trust in him, should be forgiven in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's nothing we can do. There's no amount of good we can be. How good is good enough? How how good do we need to be to get into heaven? Do we have to you know get 70% good in life? Do we have to get 90% good in life? Are we graded on a curve somehow? Are we compared with Hitler? Because if so, great, got a good chance here. You know, we compared with Mother Teresa because it's going to be rough. You know, how good must I be? Can I just not do bad things, or must I actually do good things to offset those? How come nobody ever wrote this down and told me how good I need to be in order to get into heaven? Well, here's the light that's waiting for us when we step through that door and choose to stand there and let our eyes adjust. That whoever believes in Him, puts their faith in Him for the for the forgiveness of their sins, has eternal life. Now, I know for some of you may be going, yeah, I get that. I understand. That's not a whole new truth that, that takes me out into light. I feel like I'm standing there already. Say, great, be reminded of that. Be encouraged by that. and Get excited because the next three weeks, we're going to build off this truth. But if we don't know that, if we don't understand that, the rest of this just doesn't matter all that much. So come back the next few weeks, and, and we're going to continue on in this series, looking at these truths that Jesus presents us with. Let me pray for us. God, I know sometimes it's difficult for me uh, to open the Bible and see things that don't uh, align with the way that I'm always living. Lord, and I pray that um, as much as anyone here, you continue um, to to convict me of those things. You continue uh, to let us see your truth, God, and see how we can more uh, live in to that light um, that transforms us.